Well, we can turn back to the passage you read there from Luke chapter 18, the story of Bartimaeus. I'm sure we noticed as we read it that um, Luke doesn't tell us what the man's name was. And I, I suppose there, there must be a reason for that. Um, Matthew, and Matthew doesn't tell us his name either. But Matthew tells us that there were two of them that who got blessed at this particular time. Mark is the one who tells us that he was called Bartimaeus. But in a certain sense, that just means son of Timaeus. And so we don't really know what name you'd have had in front of Bartimaeus. But anyway, here he is, and it looks like just another day, doesn't it? I mean, for him, every day is basically the same. Go and sit at the roadside and hope somebody uh, has mercy on him. We're not even told how he got there. Maybe he had to just walk and find his way there, the two of them. But anyway, there they were, and it just seemed like a a day without any differences going to occur. And as he's um, sitting there, he hears a large crowd coming. Now, of course, uh, maybe he knew that the crowd was coming, and that's why he was sitting there. Because the, the crowd is made up of people going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. I mean, this crowd would not be there every day. I mean, Jericho was on one of the main roads from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem. But I suppose a lot of the time, there would hardly be people on it. But at this time of year, uh, the roads would be uh, crowded. And the the Passover is not for another, almost another uh, fortnight, but, but... Jesus and his disciples and others are on the way to keep the Passover. And therefore there's a, a big crowd of people and that um, intrigues uh, Bartimaeus. And we'll think about that later. You, you may have uh, noticed when you Uh, read the different accounts of um, this incident that uh, Matthew and Mark say that uh, Jesus uh, was leaving Jericho when this happened. Whereas uh, Luke tells us it happened as he drew near to Jericho. And of course, people jump on that and say, well, there must be a mistake here. But uh, the, the answer to that particular twofold description is quite straightforward. There were two Jerichos, and they were right beside each other. 
and one Jericho was the ancient city of Jericho. But right beside it was a new city that Herod the Great had built. And in order to get into the new Jericho, you had to pass through the old Jericho. So here's um, Bartimaeus, and he's sitting on the part of the road that's in between the two locations. So it is actually true to say that uh, Jesus was leaving the old Jericho and was entering the new Jericho. And so there's actually no um, particular uh, difficulty in the way that the, the, the gospel writers uh, describe this. The, another question that comes to mind is, how often did Jesus come to Jericho? And... Uh, I'm not suggesting that we know how often he came. Because, as I said a minute ago, uh, if they chose to go down the Jordan Valley as they traveled from um, Galilee down to Jerusalem, then they would have gone through Jericho. But I suppose if they wanted to, they could have also gone down uh, the west side of the country. And if we can picture the map of Israel... Uh, then it's not too difficult to, to, <clears throat> to imagine the, the routes that they took. And while we, we don't know uh, how often Jesus uh, went to Jericho, uh, we do know that this was his last visit. He may have been there every time he went up to keep the feast. We don't know. But we do know this was his last visit to the area. And if um, Bartimaeus, this was going to be his last occasion. He doesn't know this, of course, but he, it, was, it was going to be his last opportunity uh, to get any help from Jesus. And, of course, there's, there's an important lesson in that, isn't there? That we never actually know when it's the last opportunity. And if, if we're not converted... That is something to take quite seriously. Plenty of people have delayed once too often and found it was too late. And uh, that would not be uh, wise uh, for us to do. There's lots of ways that this particular incident could be uh, approached and I just want to I look at five things uh, from it. I want to think about the information that um, Bartimaeus was given. I want to think about the insight that Bartimaeus already possessed. And I also want us to think about the intensity of his desire. And then the interview he had with Jesus and then the impact it made on him and on others. So the information. Well, I suppose we, we all recognize that curiosity often has its rewards. And uh, curiosity is a, is a basic human outlook. If we're, if we're not curious about things, then what will we do? We normally do things because we're curious. And it's interesting that um, both 
with regard to Bartimaeus here, and also in the next chapter as Jesus goes into uh, New Jericho, he meets another man who's curious, Zacchaeus. And of course, Zacchaeus is able to show his curiosity by going and climbing a tree and trying to see Jesus that way. But um, Bartimaeus, he can only show his curiosity uh, by using his tongue. And he inquired of the people who he couldn't see. He inquired of them what was going on. And they gave him the answer, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Just wanted to think about this name of Jesus for a few minutes. What does it say to us? Jesus of Nazareth. And in what um, context do we find it used in the New Testament? I mean, obviously, from one point of view, it just indicates that that is where he came from. Of course, he's, he's moved away from Nazareth by now. He's now living in Capernaum because he moved his home to Capernaum about three years before this incident took place. But people are still regarding him as Jesus of Nazareth. And so they are just saying that's where he comes from. It was a kind of, wasn't a nice thing to say about someone. Even if it was true, because as Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And it wasn't just Nathaniel that thought that. Everybody thought that. So to um, identify Jesus in this way, they were saying something. And perhaps something more than his uh, origin. But anyway, what did Pilate put on the cross? Well, we're told in John 19, 19, that what was there was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And perhaps we're not surprised by that. But what did the angel say to the woman when they came to the tomb to see well, they didn't come to see anything. They actually came to finish off from their perspective what they imagined the men had not been able to do, and that is to anoint Jesus properly. But the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. It is a bit intriguing that an angel refers to him as Jesus of Nazareth. Because after all, the angel actually knew where Jesus' real origin was from. He knew Jesus had come from heaven. Yet he still told the woman, and they knew that he was 
from Nazareth as well, so he didn't need to be told that. But it is stressed by the angel that um, he's still Jesus of Nazareth, even although he is now risen from the dead. And we can move on to Peter on the day of Pentecost. In that amazing sermon that he, he preached, of which all these thousands of people were converted. And how does he refer to Jesus in that sermon? Well, he refers to him as Jesus of Nazareth. And they almost seem to be glorying in this title, don't they? And how about Jesus himself? How does he refer to himself from heaven? Well, what did he say to Saul of Tarsus? According to Acts 22, verse 8, where Paul is reciting his testimony, he says, Jesus, he says, and he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So there's um, Jesus several years after uh, his ascension to heaven, and he's And he says to Saul of Tarsus, who would not have had a very high regard for Nazareth, he says to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And I wonder why this means of identifying him has been continued. Because the They could have called him by, identified him by other locations. And I suppose, as we mentioned earlier, with Nathaniel's comment, it's rather astonishing, isn't it? Could anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the obvious implication of his question is, and given that he lived in Cana, which was only six miles from Nazareth, it means that in all his interactions with people from Nazareth over the years, that was his assessment. Obviously, Nathaniel had never met Jesus prior to that time. And it looks as if he had never even heard of Jesus prior to that time. It is astonishing Obscurity. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus humbled himself. He went from being the center, the central attraction of heaven to not being an attraction at all. And there's something rather striking about that, isn't there? The one who was somebody became nobody. And when he became nobody, he did become nobody. Because not even Nathaniel had heard about him. At the same time, there's something very admirable about it. Because there in Nazareth, as we know, that's where he lived the first 30 years of his perfect life. And I suppose if there was somewhere where it would be hard to live a perfect life, it is Nazareth. But yet he did it. 
never once living amongst these individuals, whoever they were, and whatever their lifestyle was. And we do know what they thought of him afterwards, don't they? Despite him being their hometown boy, as it were, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. But there he lived a perfect life. And whenever we hear the title Jesus of Nazareth, that should strike us. He lived a perfect life in the most difficult of places. And not merely a perfect life outwardly, because that, that could be possible with somebody whose um, mind is, is strong enough. They might just not do anything. And everybody just look at them and say, well, they haven't done anything wrong. That's because they haven't done anything. But Jesus didn't have anything wrong inside him. It was perfect the whole, the whole way. Every thought, every reaction, every time somebody came into the carpenter shop at the wrong time, they never got the wrong reaction. It was always his perfection that they saw. And as we thought about a minute ago, it does tell us about his humility. And this was the place where he prepared for the cross. 30 years of preparation for going to the place of suffering. And I suppose there's a certain um, sense in which in Nazareth he saw the worst kind of people. And it would have crossed his mind on numerous occasions. These are the kind of people I'm going to die for. And yet he stayed there, humbly loving God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength and his neighbor as himself. Jesus of Nazareth. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? Of course, every name about Jesus is beautiful. But Jesus of Nazareth, it is beautiful. And that's the information that um, Bartimaeus got. What do you do with his information? I mean, that leads us to think about his insight. Well, he didn't shout out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Which is what we would expect him to shout out, wouldn't we? Because after all, he's blind. And he's dependent on, on information that people give to him. But as, the, as he's told that Jesus of Nazareth passes by, rather strangely, he shouts out, instead of Jesus of Nazareth, he shouts out, Jesus, son of David. How did a blind man know that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of David? Well, no, no obvious answer to that question except the fact that he did know 
I mean, he actually had an insight to Jesus that most people that heard Jesus up until now didn't have. And although he was living in, in, um, in Jericho, a long way from where Jesus normally ministered, there he is. He's fully aware of who Jesus is. When he calls him a son of David, he's saying to him, you're the Messiah. Because that's who the son of David was. And way back there in the Old Testament times, uh, God had promised David that he would have a descendant and that his descendant would be the Messiah. And there's Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside and he actually knows that. He knows that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And I'm, I'm not, it's just a guess of course, but I don't think we should read this as his conversion. He already knows who Jesus is. He may not have met him before, but he knows who he is. And he also knows that uh, Jesus is able to help him. It's rather extraordinary, isn't it? And I suppose here we have an example that God has his people in very surprising places. How many people did God have in Jericho? at this particular time? Well, as far as we know, one. And who is he? He's blind Bartimaeus. And he's got a real insight into the, into the person of Christ, who he is, and what he can do for him right at that moment. And I mean, Luke here is full of contrasts, as we notice as we're going through these chapters. The rich man, he doesn't see anything. He thinks he's as good as Jesus. But here's blind Bartimaeus. And he understands what the rich young ruler couldn't see. And in the parable of Jesus that comes before that, blind Bartimaeus understands what the Pharisee couldn't see. But Jesus there, the one walking up to Jerusalem, is the Messiah. What an amazing insight. And we should never be surprised at where we find Christians. God can work in people's hearts and nobody knows how he does it. And it's not for us to start probing and saying, well, how did you ever find out about Jesus? What actually matters is if their conversation reveals that they found him. And Bartimaeus' conversation certainly revealed that he had found him he knew that he was the Messiah despite having never seen him that's an amazing insight and his insight of course made him very quick to ask for help I mean he just immediately he just shouts out Jesus son of David have mercy on me 
straight to the point. He had no idea it was the last time that Jesus would be there. He couldn't see where Jesus was going. He just knew that he was passing him at that moment. And that was the moment for him to get help about his particular need. And then that just leads us to think briefly about the intensity. I suspect that um, Luke here has been um, kind to the disciples when he says, and those who were in front rebuked him. Because one assumes that Jesus is leading the crowd and beside him would be the disciples. So maybe the ones who rebuked Bartimaeus, they might have been his disciples. Now it wouldn't be too surprising because in the, so far they, they were in the previous, in the same chapter here, uh, they rebuked the parents that were taking the infants to Jesus. And the disciples were quite often stopping people coming to Jesus. But here they, and here they object, and they object very strongly. I mean, to say to someone that is shouting for help from Jesus and to respond to that by rebuking him, I mean, that's a rather strong response. Whoever they were at the front of the crowd, they had no idea of what it was that would interest Jesus. And therefore, they, get, but they spoke with authority. Because normally when you're rebuking somebody, you speak with authority. A certain tone of voice comes out. And poor Bartimaeus, he heard it. So what did it make him do? Well, we're told what it made him do. It says there, he cried out all the more. He wanted to embrace the moment. After all, it was his moment. And he knows, I suppose these people that were rebuking him, they just thought it was pointless. After all, from their limited perception of things, what could Jesus do for this poor uh, blind man? They were judging Jesus by their expectations. And because they were judging Jesus by their expectations, they also judged Bartimaeus by those expectations. And they just didn't think that Jesus was able to help Bartimaeus. And as I was thinking about this, it kind of says, doesn't it, that it's good to pray when everybody else thinks it's pointless. Is that not right? It's good to pray when everybody else thinks it's pointless. <clears throat> 
Because that's what these people were doing to, to Bartimaeus here, weren't they? Just saying to him, you're wasting your time as well as wasting your voice. But Bartimaeus didn't pay any heed to that, and that was very good for him. But it does raise another question for us. How intense are our cries to Jesus? Are our prayers offered in a manner that would indicate to somebody listening in that we've got an attitude of take it or leave it? Intensity always says a lot. And of course, in Bartimaeus' case, he was desperate. And often, that's when we find real prayer, isn't it? When we're desperate. And there seems to be no way out. And the circumstances seem impossible. And people are shaking their heads, sympathizing perhaps, but not expressing any degree of confidence. Well, Bartimaeus says to us, just speak to Jesus when everybody else thinks it's pointless. And that leads us to think of the interview that they had between Jesus and Bartimaeus. And it is the case, isn't it, that Jesus heard a different cry. He heard the same words, but he heard a different cry. He heard a cry of faith. The others just heard a just a cry. But Jesus recognized there was faith in this request. And we could say that the words that Bartimaeus used, well, they went to Jesus' heart. The same words only went to the, those at the front of the crowd only went to their ears. But Bartimaeus' cry went straight to the heart of Jesus. And what did Jesus hear? Well, he heard the cry of a man who knew who he was, didn't he? He heard the cry of a man, a blind man sitting there, who recognized who Jesus was. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Could Jesus resist that? In a few days' time, he's going to ask the Pharisees why the Bible calls him the son of David. And the Pharisees aren't going to be able to answer him. But if you'd asked the blind man here, the blind man would have known what to say. And Jesus... Jesus always responds to faith, doesn't he? He doesn't respond to an opinion. He responds to faith. And faith persists. 
like taking hold of him. It's a bit like Jacob. I won't let you go unless you bless me. So therefore, he did that. And Jesus then asks him a question. And it's a very important question. It's important for us to know what he says. Jesus doesn't say to him, what do you think I can do for you? That's not what Jesus asked. If he had asked that question, there would have been a long list of possible answers. But what Jesus says to him is, what do you want me to do for you? What do you desire? Now, Jesus doesn't ask that question because he's ignorant. He knows Bartimaeus' desire. And he wants Bartimaeus to express his desire. To say it. What do you want from me? He targets the man's longings. Is a, what is paramount within him. What do you want? He kind of isolates the desire. Makes Bartimaeus there in front of the crowd. Confess what's in his heart. And as we know, Bartimaeus straight away says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Which, of course, tells us that he had lost it. We're not told when he lost it, but at some stage in the past he had lost it. And he says to Jesus, Lord, let me recover my sight. And in the process, he gives Jesus another title that indicates his faith. He's already said to him that he's the son of David. And now he says to him, you're also Lord. Now it is possible, but highly unlikely, that Jesus just that, that, Nicod- that Bartimaeus meant sir. Because sometimes that's the way the word was used, but it's highly unlikely, isn't it? He's asking Jesus to do something incredible. But in his reply, he gives an answer as to why he thinks Jesus can do the incredible. And the reason why he thinks that Jesus can do the incredible is because he recognizes that Jesus is God. Lord, let me recover my sight. He hasn't seen Jesus. And yet he knows he's God. What extraordinary insight he has into him. And he doesn't, as it were, um, 
draw back from making at this what probably seemed to the crowd to be an outrageous request or a ridiculous request. He just comes straight to the point and announces it. And his statement reveals clearly, doesn't it, that he understood the capability of Jesus. He was confident that Jesus could give him his sight. What remarkable faith in this particular man. And his faith was rewarded because immediately Jesus gave him his sight. And as we sang there from Psalm 146, it's the Lord that gives the blind their sight. And there's the result of the interview. What a dramatic outcome. What a day it was for Bartimaeus. When he got up that morning, he didn't expect this to happen. But it did. And he had discovered, didn't he, that it's worthwhile calling upon Jesus. That when we call upon him in faith, when the moments occur, when the opportunity arrives, to take it, even if everybody else says, don't be ridiculous. And then lastly, there's the impact. We're told that he recovered his sight and followed Jesus. Literally. Where's Jesus going? He's going up to Jerusalem. But where's Bartimaeus going? Well, he must be going to Jerusalem if he's following Jesus. And think of all the things he saw. How his life was transformed. Walked through Jericho. He probably never saw Zacchaeus before. But the next chapter, he sees Zacchaeus getting converted. The man who was literally blind but could see spiritually. So a man who could see physically, but who was spiritually blind, getting a spiritual sight. And after that, he was probably there when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He might have been there when he heard the crowd shout, crucify him. Who knows? Well, we're told he followed him. And that's the last we're really told about him. He's following Jesus. This is his life. 
from now on. Perhaps he's among the 120 who sat in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. It's incredible the transformation that Jesus can bring into somebody's life. And I'm sure everywhere that Bartimaeus went, he just told his own story. Because whose other story would be better than his? And of course, that goes for all of us. I mean, what Jesus, if we're converted, what Jesus wants us to share is our story. Not somebody else's story. It's how we came to discover his power. And at the same time, he's glorifying God. He traveled along praising God. What an incredible thing to do. And of course, somebody must have told Luke this. Mustn't he? What? I mean, Luke says he's researched everything he's written down. So somebody must have said to him, well, when I saw Bartimaeus, after he got his eyesight back, and as he went along the road behind Jesus, he was just glorifying God. And that's a wonderful description of a person's life, isn't it? Wherever he went. And the reality is, of course, that whatever he got after meeting Jesus was far better than anything he got before he met him. Before he met Jesus and on this particular day, he's a blind man. And he may have had spiritual riches since he understood who Jesus was. But there he was, a beggar. But life after that, I don't know if you ever heard what Jesus said, but I'm sure the disciples told him, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And Bartimaeus could certainly testify to that. But the fact that he's glorifying God tells us this, that we're duty-bound to show what we owe. That's all we're bound to show, to show what we owe. What we owe to Jesus. Whatever can be said about Bartimaeus, People heard it, and they didn't just hear it, they saw it. But it wasn't just Bartimaeus in whom there was an impact. All the people, including the ones who had told him to be quiet, all the people, they gave praise to God. What a wonderful day in Jericho. And while we may not experience the miracle that Bartimaeus had, and his miracle was incredible, amazing, 
But if we discovered who Jesus is, we've actually experienced the greatest miracle possible. Because we've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. And why would anyone want to hide it from anyone? And I think that's a challenge of Bartimaeus, isn't it? He just glorified God wherever he went. So may God bless these thoughts to us, shall we pray?